Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Well, good morning, friends. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you ate some good food, spent some great time with friends and family, and were able to slow down and recharge. And it's great to be gathered together again to lift up the name of Jesus through worship and studying God's word. Yeah, there we go. We can clap for that. Yeah, okay. Well, if we have not met, my name is Chandler, and I serve as the multiplication pastor here at Concord. And it is a joy to serve at this church, a a church that is on a mission to inspire people to follow Jesus all throughout our city. And in my role, I get the privilege of overseeing our Rise 865 congregations and multiplying what is happening here at Concord across area code 865. And we currently have two other congregations. We have Belmont Heights up near the downtown area in the Westview community. And that is pastored by Nick Swarthout. And we have LifeBridge Church, which is down in Loudoun. And that is pastored by Ryan Moore. And if you were here just a few weeks ago, we shared on video that you learned from Drew Udy, our former middle school pastor, that he is in the beginning stages of launching our third congregation up in Jefferson City, Mossy Creek Fellowship. And man, I'm just so thankful for each of those pastors, thankful for those churches and how God is using them to reach our city. So it is an exciting time for what is happening within our church and across our community. Well, before we jump in this morning, I do have one quick item I want to make you aware of. You heard about it a little bit before. But as we head into the Christmas season, there's going to be many opportunities that we have to be able to share the hope of Christ with our friends and family. So go ahead and grab your phone out. It's okay. No one's going to judge you. I have my phone out. And go ahead and text in the word light to 57158. And our team has put together a bunch of resources and videos and devotionals that will help you be able to have gospel conversations over the next month. So let me encourage you to sign up for this. Just text LIGHT to 57158 and you'll get a text, a few texts throughout the week. I promise we're not going to blow up your phone. You'll get a few throughout the week and these will be helpful tools for you to be able to share your faith with your friends and family over the holiday season. Well, this week we officially turned the corner from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And even as you're walking in, you can see all the Christmas trees are up. That's probably happening in your house as well. The the lights are going up outside the home. You're watching all the Christmas movies. We're finally able to listen to Christmas music. Some of you, man, as soon as Halloween's over, November 1st, you are listening to Christmas music. And the rest of us did it the right way. And we just started listening this week. And we're finally on the same page there. But we're all listening to Christmas music now. But before we rush past the holiday of Thanksgiving and get to Christmas, here's what I want us to do this morning is to to slow down and reflect on the idea of gratitude. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you today, and I hope that you do, you can turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And as you're turning there, let me just ask this question. Anybody in here a runner? Anybody just love to run? Okay, see a few hands. First service, not many hands. All the runners are apparently in this service. For me, I am am not a runner. That's great for you. I am not someone who loves to run. I played baseball most of my life, which is the sport with about the least amount of running. And I loved it. But my wife loves to run. And when I married her, I married into a family of runners. And I've heard some people say that one of their biggest fears when it comes to a relationship is that they would marry into a family who runs a 5K on Thanksgiving. 
And that is now my reality. We, we run the turkey trot and then we stuff our faces. I just don't get it, but we do it. So I'm married into a family of runners. And while I am not a runner, I am a very competitive person. So seeing them all run, I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to prove to myself and to them that I can also run a half marathon. So I signed up for one. And what I did not realize is just how intense the training is and how hard it actually is to run 13 miles, let alone one mile. So I get out there and I'm, I'm starting my training and I start, I was going to run three miles and I'm going and I just all of a sudden in mile one, just start getting a cramp, start walking. And I just start thinking, how in the world am I going to run 13 miles? And, you know, I couldn't even run two miles without stopping. So how is I going to do this without killing myself? And when I, when I started thinking about the future of race day, I would just start getting overwhelmed. I would get anxious every time I thought about that day that was coming on the calendar. But instead of continuing to be overwhelmed by the thought of race day, I decided only to focus on and be grateful for the improvement that I was seeing every single day. So, okay, now I'm running one mile. Now I can run two. And now I can run three to four. And it allowed me not to focus on the future and be anxious of the race day, but focus on the the day in front of me and be grateful. Somehow, by God's grace, I made it to race day, finished the race, and I still hate running. But the reason I share that story with you is this is exactly how the enemy works in our lives. The, he wants us overwhelmed. He wants us anxious. He wants us to be worried. He wants us to be focused on the overwhelming unknown future rather than focused on the blessings that God has given us today. So instead of being grateful for the job that we currently have, he wants us thinking about how we may never advance in our career like we would like to. Instead of being grateful for the paycheck that he's given us, he wants us to be overwhelmed by thinking about how we don't have enough saved up for the future. Instead of being grateful for the family that we currently have, he wants us thinking about if we're actually setting our kids up for the future down the road. And on and on I could go but Satan knows that if he can get us to focus on the what ifs of our future, then we will begin to be discontent with the present. And the author C.S. Lewis wrote in his, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he talks about the tactics of Satan. So you have an older demon, his name is Screwtape. He's writing to his younger nephew, Wormwood, and he's telling him about, hey, here's how to tempt humans and lure them away from God. And he and Lewis puts this in a book, and he said it so well when he said this. He says, gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, greed, lust, and ambition look ahead to the future. The enemy wants to take our focus off what God has done for us in the past and how he's provided for us in the present. And he wants us to focus on the future, which is full of unknowns and questions. And when this happens, we are no longer grateful for what God has given us, but instead we get overwhelmed and filled with anxiety and worry. One pastor gave this helpful description of anxiety when he said this. He says, anxiety is the experience of having fears of an unknown future disrupt the possibility of peace, joy, and contentment in the present. And the reality is, in our world today, man, we are more anxious than ever. Since 2020, research has shown that anxiety and depression have increased by 25%. And of course, there are many factors that play into these stats, but I believe one of the main things 
taking place is that the enemy has done a great job of taking our focus off of a known God and in turn placed our focus on an unknown future. And what we need to realize is that the antidote to our worries and our anxiety is choosing to be grateful for who God is and what he has given us. When we are anxious, our focus shifts away from God's current blessings in our life and turns to doubting his blessings in the future. But when we are grateful, our focus is on God's past and present blessings and how he's been faithful time and time again. So here's the main idea that I hope that we can take to heart this morning, and it's this, is that gratitude interrupts our anxiety and refocuses us on God's goodness. Gratitude interrupts our anxiety and refocuses us on God's goodness. And this is a biblical truth that was actually recently discovered in non-Christian research. Let me just read these findings for us. In 2004, Robert Emmons and Michael McAuliffe did a study on gratitude and its effects on anxiety. They recorded their findings in a book called The Little Book of Gratitude. In their research, they found that gratitude lessens stress. And after conducting an experiment, the participants who practiced gratitude showed a reduction in the level of cortisol, also known as the stress hormone. However, the most profound thing revealed in this study was that not only does gratitude lessen stress, but gratitude and anxiety cannot exist in the brain at the same time. Therefore, a possible solution to when we feel anxious is practicing gratitude. So like, don't miss what they discovered. Gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist. So, so based on this study, if you are feeling anxious, be grateful. And God knows gratitude is needed in our world that is constantly trying to take our focus off of who God is and what he's done for us. And in the Bible, we see variations of the word thank over 150 times, 38 of those, we see it as a command to give thanks. So if gratitude has been found to reduce anxiety and God has commanded us over and over again to give thanks, how can we become more grateful people? Well, Paul gives us a simple game plan in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. So if you will, stand with me and let us read what Paul says about how we can become more grateful. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this short passage, Paul's wrapping up a letter to a church that he loves dearly. And these are the the ending instructions and encouragement to this church. And he's encouraging them for how to grow in their faith and how to stand firm in the midst of persecution. One scholar has called these three verses the standing orders of the gospel. So these commands apply to all Christians in all places, in all situations. And Paul ends it with, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So do you want to know what God's will is for your life in any situation? It's this. To rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and to give thanks. And what this reveals is that God's will for your life is more than just your circumstances. It's about how you respond to those circumstances. So how do we grow in gratitude? How can we be grateful no matter what the world throws at us? Well, 
Let us look at each of these three commands in more detail and see what we can learn. So the first thing that we see, the first command is this, be joyful. Be joyful. Paul starts out in verse 16. He says, rejoice always. Now each of these three verses, they are imperatives. They are present tense in the Greek. So each of these is a command. This is not a suggestion for the Christian. And these are to be ongoing. We are to continually to make a choice to rejoice. And it's, if that sounds like a tough command, that's because it is. Like we cannot do this on our own. The choice to rejoice always is only possible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is his power that gives us the ability to rejoice always. Paul wrote about this earlier in, in his letter. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he wrote, And you become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Notice that he says, you receive the word in much affliction. He's not writing to a group of people who have a ton of reason to rejoice. If you just skim through this letter, you're going to see the afflictions, the difficulties, and the trials that they're facing. But in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he tells them and he tells us that the source of our joy is not our own efforts to have a positive outlook on life. But the source of our joy is the Holy Spirit. So the key to unlocking unshakable joy, no matter your circumstance, only comes through the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And this is why joy is listed in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. True joy comes from God alone and joy is a marker of the kingdom of God like we see it all throughout scripture Romans 15 13 says may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope Psalm 16 11 says you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore first Peter 1 8 through 9 says though you have not seen him you love him Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Bible teaches that the believer's joy is not dependent upon external circumstances, but it flows out of the fact that we are in Christ and he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So because of this, Christian. You can rejoice because your joy is not based upon your circumstances, but it's based upon your God. Your circumstances will change. Your God never will. And the enemy does not want us to focus on this truth. He wants us to forget about the blessings that he's already given us. And one of the greatest tactics that he can use to get us unfocused off of those is for us to start looking around and looking at the blessing of other people. You've heard it said before probably, but comparison is the thief of joy. So do you want to lose your joy? Do you want to become more ungrateful? Compare yourself to others. Take your focus off of God and focus on others. And in our culture today, this is so easy to do. Like if you just think about it, our world right now is almost exclusively focused on others. Like just think about it. If you open up your phone and you, you scroll on Instagram, you're seeing everyone else's highlight reels. 
If you turn on TV and you're, you're watching that reality show, you see someone else's reality looks better than yours. Maybe this week you opened up Facebook and when you did, you saw somebody else's Thanksgiving that looked so much more happy and joyful than yours. We live in a culture of comparison that is robbing us of our joy. So part of rejoicing and choosing to be joyful is to change what you're focusing on. And a practical way to rejoice always is to stop comparing yourself to others and to start focusing on who God is and what he has done for you time and time again. And when that happens, you can be joyful and grateful no matter your circumstance. You don't need God to change your circumstances to find joy. You simply need God to change the way that you're viewing your circumstances. It's like this. We're about to start watching Christmas movies for the next month. So let's just all think about one of the classics. It's a wonderful life. The movie follows George Bailey. who He's going through a crisis on Christmas Eve. And he's, he's sitting there and he owes the bank thousands of dollars he doesn't have. He's comparing himself to others who he feels like have made it in life. He feels like a failure. And he's sitting there on Christmas Eve thinking about ending it all. And when at just the right time, his guardian angel Clarence appears to show him what the world would have looked like if he had never been born. And while he is at rock bottom, he sees how drastically different the world would have been if he never had existed. And that experience completely changed his perspective. His joy was restored. And when he came back to reality, the circumstances had not changed, but his perspective had so the same life with the same problems, with the same circumstances greeted him when he returned. But when he gets back, he is grateful for it all. If you remember the scene, he's on his way back home and he's celebrating every single detail of his life as he's running home. A new perspective changed everything for him. And here's the point. You don't need new circumstances to rejoice always. You just need a new perspective. And the way that you get a new perspective is to change what you're focusing on. Focus on Christ and what he has done for you. And I promise you, your joy will increase. You will rejoice always and you will live a life full of gratitude. So that's the first command we see, rejoice always. The second command that we see is this, is to be prayerful. Be prayerful. Verse 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, we've spent the, the last five weeks talking all about how to pray audacious prayers, so I'm not going to belabor this point too much, but how do we change what we're focusing on? We change by praying without ceasing. Charles Spurgeon summed it up this way. He said, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. So prayer leads to gratitude, and I'll admit, like maybe when you've read this in the past, pray without ceasing. This is, a, this is a verse that can get a little bit confusing. And obviously it doesn't mean that we're, go, we're supposed to go around in our life with our head bowed and our eyes closed at all times. And actually it, it's not referring to nonstop talking, but he's talking about living with an attitude of God consciousness in everything that you do. He's calling us to live with every waking moment, with an awareness that God is with us. Prayer can be the atmosphere in which we exist it's an expression of our dependence upon God. So we're to live a life dependent upon God and communion with him. That's the attitude that Paul's trying to say here. But there also comes with that an action that he's trying to say. He's saying to actually pray. 
And for some of us, if we're just being honest in this room today, man, we can fall into the trap of thinking about prayer as only asking for things from God. So instead of thanking God for who he is and what he has given us, we tend to turn God into a delivery system, just asking him to give us our wish list. But prayer is about transforming who we are and changing our very heart. And of course, the most basic definition of prayer is talking to God. But the purpose of our prayer, it's not just a conversation, it's meant for our transformation. Richard Foster reminds us of this in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, when he says this. He says, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. So if you want to have your heart transformed, pray. If you want your perspective to be transformed, pray. And when we pray, it's a two-way conversation. It's not just us talking to God, but it's also God speaking to us. And when he speaks to us, he reminds us of his promises. He reminds us of his character, of his truth. And when he speaks to us, he works in our hearts to change us from the inside out. And it's in the private moments of our prayer life where God takes our anxiety and transforms it into gratitude. And this is why Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is such a beautiful truth. And we see this play out when we're reading the Psalms. Like you may not think about it in this way, but when we read the Psalms, we're actually reading David's prayer journal most of the time. And we get to read when David is honest with God. He's pouring out his his unfiltered thoughts and he's wrestling with God. And throughout the Psalms, we'll see David begin the Psalm crying out to God in frustration and his anxiety. And then you keep reading. And by the end of the Psalm, David finishes. He's finishing with with thanksgiving. He's, he's finishing with praising God for his thankfulness. And in these examples of David's journal, we see how prayer transforms our hearts and refocuses us on God's goodness. And if I could just get real practical here, let me just suggest to you to actually journal your prayers. Personally, I've, I've tried so many methods of trying to pray, but the most effective way that I have found is actually to journal when I pray. And one of my favorite things about journaling is looking back and seeing God's hand working in my life even when I didn't realize it at the time. And I get to look back and be filled with gratitude. And I use an app, it's called Day One. And when I, when I use it, it actually has a notification that will pop up every single day. It says, on this day, and I get to click it and it takes me to a year ago, what I, whatever I wrote. And when I get to look back on that, I'm reminded of how God has worked in my life in the past. It reminds me of the prayers that he answered. It reminds me of how he was faithful in the unknown moments. It reminds me that even when I felt like he was far away, he was incredibly near. And it reminds me that no matter how nervous and anxious I was in the moment, I can look back and I can be grateful. When we write down how God moves in our lives, it allows us to look back on his faithfulness and remember that he is good and it allows us to look back and be thankful. So if you want to grow in gratitude, 
Pray without ceasing because this is the method that God has given us to refocus us on his goodness and his blessings. So that's the second command we see. Pray without ceasing. The third that we see is this, is be thankful. Be thankful. Paul wraps up these three commands in verse 18. He says this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. (laughs) Now this would be an easy command to follow through on if it said, hey, give thanks when things are going great. But that's not what Paul writes here. He says to us and commands us, give thanks in all circumstances. But notice that Paul doesn't tell them to give thanks for everything. He tells them to give thanks in everything. Paul isn't telling them that they must be thankful for the difficulties that they were encountering. Instead, he's challenging them to be thankful in the midst of any circumstance that comes their way. So how in the world are we supposed to do that? Well, Brother Doug, who was my pastor growing up, and I know he was many of your pastors as well, he used to put it this way. He said, if you understand the why, you can deal with almost any how. If you understand the why, you can deal with almost any how. And let's tweak it just a little bit this morning and put it this way, that if you understand the why, you can give thanks in all circumstances. So here's the why. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Any circumstance that comes into your life, God is working it together for your good and it has a purpose. And we see the purpose right in the next verse in Romans 8.29 that says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So why can we give thanks in all circumstances? Because God uses all circumstances for your good and that good is to make you more like Christ. The big theological word for this process is sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. And what that means is that God allows things into our life to help us grow to be more like Jesus. Because God works for that purpose in our lives, we can be filled with gratitude knowing there is purpose even in the difficulties when we don't understand what's going on. And if we, if we have this kind of big picture, eternal perspective, we can give thanks in everything because we understand God is using all things to make us more like Jesus. This is why James can write in James 1, 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So from this, we are to count all trials as a joyful opportunity to deepen our faith and reliance on God for all things. Like we may give thanks to God when things are going well in our lives, but the true test of our faith is when tragedy comes and wrecks our lives. Are we still counting it joy then? And the word count is a financial term and it means to evaluate. And when Paul says to count it all joy, he's encouraging his readers to evaluate the way that they look at trials. He's calling believers to develop a new perspective on trials and see them from the perspective that God sees them. 
Too often we see trials in our life in a negative light and we, we, we can tend to think, oh, this is God's curse on my life or punishment for the sin that I, is going on in my life, but that is not the case. Instead, we need to see it for what it really is and they are opportunities for us to mature joyfully in Christ. And Peter reinforces this whole idea in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 when he writes this and notice how familiar this verse sounds to everything else that we've been reading. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can give thanks in all circumstances because we know that God is refining us and shaping us to be more like Jesus through the testing of his fire. And I think one of the best illustrations of God's refining fires in our lives are the great sequoias out west. I don't know if you've ever been able to go out west and you've been able to see the redwoods or the giant sequoias, but they are incredible. Like you can just stand at the base of them and look up, and when you do, you're just completely overwhelmed by the size. And not only that, most of these trees are over 3,000 years old, and they are just majestic trees. And these majestic trees have an interesting relationship with fire. <laughs> when the National Park Service was created back in the early 1900s, they, cre they created a policy that banned all fires from forests. And they thought they were protecting these trees and helping them grow. But when they did this, the opposite result occurred. They realized this was actually detrimental to the forests and the trees. Very little new trees were growing. The, the mature trees that were there were not getting the nutrients that they needed and they were no longer growing as tall as they used to. The forest floor was becoming overgrown and vegetation was having trouble growing and actually larger fires were taking place than actually were happening before this policy took place. And what researchers found was that fire was crucial to the growth of these trees and was needed for their long-term survival, growth, and reproduction. And what they didn't realize was that these trees are designed to thrive in a world of frequent fires. They actually have two feet of, of bark on the outside that insulates them from the damage of fire. Small fires actually protect them from larger wildfires because it clears the forest floor of all those pine needles and the other fallen branches and debris. And I think this is the coolest part of all. These, these giant sequoia cones, they are serotonous, which means that fire on the forest floor causes them to dry out and open and release their seed. So the seeds that lead to reproduction and bearing more fruit only are opened in the heat and the wake of a fire. For these trees, fire is necessary to create an environment conducive for their growth. There is an uncomfortable heat that must take place in order for them to bear more fruit. These trees are designed to thrive in a world of frequent fires. And the same is true for us. Refining fire is crucial to our growth and spiritual maturity. So why can we give thanks in all circumstances? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that we can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We don't have to live in the anxiety of the what-ifs of the future because we know that whatever comes our way is for our good. Instead, we can choose 
to be grateful. So here's the deal. I have no clue what circumstance you walked in here with today. But if you were in Christ, here's what I can promise you from Scripture. Is that God is working in the midst of it all for your good and for your holiness and for his glory. And for that, you can give thanks. For that, you can be grateful. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release. 